The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mrs. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Hi, Paul. Welcome. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Good morning, Henry. 
Good morning, Tom. And joining us, uh, she is the uh, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor, Jan Worth Nelson. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Jan. Morning. <laughs> well, let's see. We always start out with a few quotes, and uh, the first one is, is always finish the quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes like this. Your success and happiness lies in you. Resolve to keep happy, and your joy and you shall what? Hmm. Huh? Shall... So live forever? I don't know. I have to allow others to share the same. Could you read the, the last part of it once more? Yeah. Um, your success and happiness lies in you. Resolve to keep happy, and your joy and you shall what? Shall mm, renew? It rhymes. I was going to say spread <laughs> happiness. I don't know. Well, here's... Uh, Here's the original quote. Your success and happiness lies in you. Resolve to keep happy and your joy and you shall form an invincible host against difficulties. Mm. Oh. Right. Hey. Well, that's headed in the same direction that I was intending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. everybody was on the same page. But, but uh, you'll never guess who, uh, who said that. Yeah, I have no idea. Emerson Thoreau. It was Helen yeah. Keller. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and she was no lady. Wow. That's a reminder. Things could be harder than they are. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's kind of what I thought, Jan. It, it, it was a little off the beaten path from the usual quotes and, and uh, authors that I pick from, but... Uh, but I, huh. I thought it was kind of interesting and appropriate for this time of year. Um, yes. And well, here's here's a quote that got my attention, um, and, and well, I think probably everybody's attention. While the guilty verdicts reflect our justice system doing its job, that alone is not enough. Instead, we must recommit ourselves to building a future of unity and shared strength where no one fears violence because of the color of their skin. Wow. Um, hmm. that was that be President Biden? It wasn't Kamala Harris, right? Well, I was going to say Kamala Harris myself. But I, no, I it, was, uh, it was, in fact, Henry's right, it was President Joe Biden. He said oh. Wednesday the guilty verdicts in the trial for the killing of Ahmad Arbery reflect our justice system doing its job, but added that alone is not enough. Can yeah. we compare and contrast this case and the recent Rittenhouse verdict? Well, are the two cases apples and oranges? Um, well, there's some real differences between them, yeah, I think. Yeah, there's some real differences. There are, unfortunately. But, but there are some similarities, too. You know, I, I, with both those cases, one thing that struck me is I've often thought it was risky to base your um, your views of social justice on any given case. I mean, whether it goes your way or, or the way the other way, it's, picking one case is always kind of a risky kind of thing because you never know what's going to happen. And I don't think either, the results of, either, of, of neither of those really give us a definitive answer about you know how well or badly we're doing with social justice. Right, you know, right. 
And last week, uh, and I, I, I said, I wonder why President Trump, Trump took the side that justice was, uh, there was justice, and they, the, the court arrived at the right decision. Well, what do you think about it? The justice in the Constitution is that you must be tried by uh, an organization of your own peers and be found guilty of or innocent. Right. And that, in this case, it did follow the law. There's no in both about. cases. Whether right. you like it or not is another thing. Whether it was yeah. biased or not is another thing. So justice was truly served. You, you know what worries me in terms of the Rittenhouse case especially is that he's become a bit of a a right-wing celebrity. I mean, he was, I think he's been on Fox News a couple of times and invited to other similar kind of gatherings, and I just... Down to Mar-a-Lago. That's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that may give a signal to a lot of other people to try the same kind of stuff. That, that's, that, that may be the most worrisome thing out of that case. Well, maybe he'll learn how to golf and he can do that <laughs> instead. <laughs> Uh, I think the thing about both of those cases that's significant to me is the idea that any Tom, Dick, or Harry can carry a, can take a gun out and try to take matters into their own hands. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, yeah. Uh, that's, what, that's what worries me there on both of those yeah. cases. Yeah, vigilante walking down the street with his gun on, intimidating everybody. Because I have a gun and you don't. And I can kill you. I'm God. I can... Yeah, can give life, yeah. or I can take it away. Uh, and you know that's so that, incredibly ugly. Yeah, if, if, if if I feel threatened, if you look at me cross-eyed, I can feel threatened and shoot you. Yes, you know, yeah. yeah. I would be afraid of the guy. To tell you the truth, if I saw in the house walking up, I would fear for my life. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Want yeah, to that, that's to start. <clears throat> it's a really sad story. It it's really sad. I I I wonder what's going to happen to that kid. Yeah, well, he'll do all right. Well, he's been found guilty. Uh, he's been found innocent. Yeah. If, he be- if he becomes a hero, uh, that could curdle in some strange ways. Yeah, in his personality, in my view. Yeah. And I think say both for him and individually. The like thing that for others, others like him, it may be a green uh, light for others who are. You know, thinking you know, in the same general direction, they can pick up a gun and go to the next rally and and yeah. uh, do what they will. And and get invited to the former president's house. Oh, yes. Good grief. You know, in the yeah. Ahmad Arbery case, um, you know, I think they made the right decision. I, you know, I agree with the verdict, and, and it was a horrible event. But there is a case to be made for these three white men not wanting a black person in their neighborhood. I'm not saying I agree with the case, but there's some logic to it. In the Rittenhouse case, this was a kid who wasn't from that town. Right. He got a, not, even, he, not even the same state. He got a high-powered weapon and went on an adventure. Right. And that is the part that's really troubling to me. Yeah, we have hatred in a lot of neighborhoods in America, and we need to deal with that. We need to address that. But this other thing is a a real special kind of troubling to me. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. And his mother took him. 
His mother drove him there. Well, whose mom doesn't want their kid to have an adventure? <laughs> right, yeah. Gee. And I don't you mean know, to make light of it, because lives were lost. But I, I can't help but underscore the irony. Hello? Hello. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. The irony? Yeah, yes. it, it's just, you know, that, that somehow this kid goes on an adventure and then he's acquitted for defending himself. Well... A situation that he should never have been in. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Just strike strikes me as as just so odd and so peculiar. That mm, troubling, really. It it yeah. is troubling. And another dimension of both of these is the reaction of law enforcement. Uh, and I mean, in the Arbery case, you know, particularly those those guys were treated like good old boys for months, for weeks. Oh yeah, it took took forever before they they were charged with anything. Yeah, and. And in the Rittenhouse case, I also think there was some sympathy or something or, uh, you know, for this kid. If that, if he had, I mean, this is the cliche thing to say, but can you imagine if Kyle Rittenhouse had been black? Yeah, and then waving around a cell phone. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. there's so many examples where, yeah. like I say, some, some black kid waves around a cell phone or a wallet and gets shot, and this kid's walking around with a semi-automatic weapon, and he just pat it on the back. Yeah. And there's, a, there's another irony about this that might escape those who don't look at it. Here's a case where white Americans have not, they've been in the background behind the women for years. But now, in this situation, they're controlling the agenda. It's the men that are controlling the agenda. What, what are they're you talking doing, about? They're doing their will. The men. The uh, men. Yeah, the men who uh, who are speaking uh, for uh, the victims here or for the good guys. Uh -huh. Oh, maybe you know, maybe they, those maybe those uh, those oh, white I, men, those dudes, are trying to regain their masculinity after all yeah, these years. Yeah, I I, 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 well, they, I, I they was, now, which is which is kind of scary. No, uh, Henry, Henry, I. I I, I think I get what you mean. I, I was lost there for a minute, but it sounds so, like so what he's I. saying is that uh, we're seeing white men standing yes. up for justice where in the past it's always been the women. Yes. Is that and, what you... Uh, I well, that's, that's part of it. it. It's a complex issue because I, I've often wondered why the white men never took a place in commenting on all of the worldly issues in the country. They were standing in the background, and they were maybe intimidated, maybe uh, uh, taking advantage of letting women leave for a while, and, and they count huh. in wherever they, they can get the word in. But uh, I, like I said, you talking about like out, oh, middle class white men? No, or no I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about men. We're gonna uh, because I think hmm. that there was a lot of criticism that they didn't like from people of Hen color. Henry, we didn't even make it to the them. we didn't even make it to the first break without me cutting off Henry. But uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> we'll we'll pick it up when we come back. Thank you. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Martelia Newman. From Arisha. Bertrand. <laughs> and the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. Good to be here. Just Good before to be the, here. Just before the break, we were talking about uh, the uh, recent uh, Court verdicts in shootings, the Rittenhouse case and, and the case uh, involving the death of uh, Ahmad Arbery and, and the difference in those two cases. Is it appropriate? Um, I, I couldn't decide, and I didn't decide until this morning that I would even print out anything on it, um, to talk about the shooting in Oxford yesterday. Yeah. Uh. Well, you remember you were going to let me finish up my thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I want. Yeah, I got a couple of thoughts too. Go ahead, Henry. Yeah, I, I well, to you know, I, you know, I, I just wanted to say, if you guys have gotten the white man has run the world for, uh, let's see, let's start from the 16th and 17th century when they invented tools, and mathematics, and described the earth, and occupied every space on the earth where they could boast that the sun never sets on the site, as the English did. And uh, there's a dominance that came out of that, but not even the Chinese or the Indians or the African-Americans measured up to what was going on in Europe during the age of the Enlightenment. And that's in the minds and bodies of a people. And we all recognize that. Uh, but we don't talk about it, but it's there, and it's inherent in the American male. You mean the white white, white male? <laughs> I hate to mention that, yeah. but you guys, he knows, who, he knows who I'm talking about. And when people of color talk and stand up to him and say, well, we're going to do this, we're going to take that, and we're going to do this, uh, he gets mad, and uh, even the young people everywhere. They don't like the idea of being put second. The white man's never been sick, not since the 16th or 17th century. White men have never been. been that well, I'm talking about white. I could say white people, but yeah. uh, I don't want to get into that. But that, that, but just stop and think about what he said. And if you don't believe it, go back and read the the uh, uh, the. Aristotelian rejection of the rejection of the Aristotelian Aristotelian principles. You know, where, Henry, according to our world, according to Aristotle, they came in. And they the Europeans completely rejected all of that and created a whole system. Henry, you're raising some world. interesting points, and and there are some things that I'm I'm tempted to get into and talk about. But I want to get back to the gun violence thing. And okay, the things... right. I'm sorry. No, no, but I no. Just have no that. I always wanted to say it. I know something that maybe they don't know that I know. No, you, you I know some interesting, some interesting things for discussion. And I've had some, I've had some interesting conversations about 
um, basically global white supremacy throughout yeah, history. Yeah, it's real. Where, I mean, I... Yeah. I <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no yeah. doubt about that. I think there's no doubt. But here's... <laughs> Trump but, was right. But here's my question. <laughs> I, I brought up, um, as, as we started this segment, the shooting in Oxford uh, yesterday, a uh, high school shooting, 15-year-old suspecting uh, custody, three students dead, eight injured. In Oxford, for people listening farther away than, than just in the Flint area, is really just a few miles down the road from where our show is based. And this is yet, you know, in the last segment we were talking about two verdicts, two different kinds of cases, and this is yet a third yeah, and I, it, it's it's a very different kind of case, but one that's you know we've seen multiple times. And the the thing is, Henry, when you bring up the the whole issue of white supremacy and and race and and equality and all of that, my question is, if we could solve that problem, would it <laughs> would violence stop? Would it go down? And I'm not sure. We're looking at three very different kinds yeah. of shootings here. Uh, to to yeah. kind of pick up on where Henry left off, let me throw out one thought that I've had, and I don't have an answer for this. What strikes me as curious about, I think, nearly all of these school shootings is that, uh, unless I'm forgetting a few of them, I think nearly all of them were t- took place in middle-class, white, maybe even upper-middle-class schools. I'm not aware of any of them that took place in the you know blackboard jungles of the inner cities, uh, for whatever reason. I, no, I don't have an fact, answer to that. But it's, it's, in, in, they're in, white boys. It's always white, almost always white boys. Yeah, yeah. It's been a time when it wasn't white boys. I think the Virginia Tech shooter was Asian, maybe. But I think um, you're right there, Jan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, and so what I what I'm wondering is, first of all, there. There are gun issues involved in all three of these cases. That's one thing that is <laughs> yeah. intimidating to me when you think about it, when trying to think about it. And also, I, I know you're trying to steer us a little bit away from solely focusing on white supremacy, maybe, but it is, it is the implication that Henry is making that white men are maybe fighting back against what... Uh, yeah, is, that's... I've seen it as their emasculation uh, or somehow, uh, and and how does that play in the case of a, of a 15-year-old boy or a 17-year-old boy is in Rittenhouse? There's like some, you know, I'm going to be a man here, or I don't know. Is that is that what where we're going with this conversation? Or? My my concern in the Rittenhouse case, Jan, is is that in, in Rittenhouse's mind, he was playing a video game. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he was he thought he was the good guy. He definitely thought he was the good guy. That he was going to go out and protect that car dealership and right. um he marched he marched right into those protesters uh, as as it as the video seemed to show. Well, he um, he was a soldier in search of a mission. Right, right, right. I mean, that morning he had been helping to clean out <laughs> clean graffiti off the walls of I think that dealership, and uh, yeah, he saw himself as some kind of community uh, altruist. I think with a gun, some kind of a superhero who's going to come in and save the day. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. of course we don't have enough information to really speculate about motive in in yesterday's shooting in Oxford. Oh, but 
still, it's... But uh, one thing that we can say for sure, excuse me, Jan, is that justice was done in the Rittenhouse case. We can say that. Well, in both cases, mm. those guys were... In both cases, those guys were judged by a jury of their peers. So yes. in that, that followed the law. Uh, yes. uh, whether... But whether we, genuine I, justice was done or something else, I think, you know. It, yeah. Yeah. They came to a, they came to a decision. That's true, but I'm, no. you can debate whether or not justice. The mechanics of the law <clears throat> were served. Yeah, but uh, there uh, were other issues there. Decisions. We have a right to analyze them and say, well, that yeah, they were judged by a jury of their peers. So in that sense, justice, quote unquote, justice was done. But the implications of those decisions, uh, I think, we all have a right to analyze and and even you know fret over in some cases like what does that mean what does that mean that a 17 year old from out of state who comes into a, a, a another town with a gun and shoots dead shoots two people and it's th- and hurts kills two people and you know hurts a third um and is invited to mar-a-lago what does that mean for <laughs> For future decision making by seventeen year old boys of similar leanings. Yeah. That's yeah. scary. <laughs> well yeah. like I said, I hadn't really planned on bringing up the Oxford shooting and maybe we'll know considerably more next week and maybe we'll talk about it uh some it's more. The danger we... of what the hell is going on with <clears throat> some teenage white boys. Well, there are a couple of things. Um, well, I, I think the girls are uh, picking up their, they're picking theirs up a notch, too. I was, well, you, are you, you know, talking about Lauren Boebert? That are you talking about? Yeah. Well, in, in many of the, the kids, they, they're just, uh, they're tough. They're daring. They're, they're tough. Uh, you know, you, you have like to wonder what, what the effect is on other kids who, I mean, the ones, yeah. the ones who were not shot. In all these schools where you've got to go in and you've got to prepare for lockdowns and Shootings. I mean, as I say, I can recall when certainly when I was a kid, we didn't have to prepare for lockdowns and expect anybody to shoot up to school. But today, so many kids, even those who are not shot, even those who are not in those incidents, live with that kind of worry that, gee, this could happen in my school, and that's got to have an enormous effect on your psychology. And now they're all wearing masks, and you know, half the time they're uh, they go on quarantine, (laughs) so they're they're in and out. The the sense of Sort of um, a community seems to be um, just progressively more uh, d- diluted and di- I, I'm, I'm meaning diluted, not diluted, but diluted. You know, mm-hmm. the sense but, of community keeps. Well, there's uh, something uh, interesting about these these lone student shooters in high school shootings. And a few years ago, I interviewed Jeff Cass who was one of the first reporters on the scene at Columbine. He worked for a Denver newspaper, and he was on assignment for the Boston Globe, actually. Oh, wow. wow. To, to cover uh, Columbine, and he wrote a book about it. He ended up studying school shootings. And one of the things that he discovered, or, or some of the things that he discovered, was that they typically happened in small towns. Going back to what Paul said earlier about you don't see these cases in uh, big urban settings. Right. That they're always in smaller towns. And in his research, he 
theorized that these these kids were loners and and uh, outsiders, and that in a big city there'd be a corner somewhere or under a bridge somewhere where all these outsiders would collect and there was some sense of belonging that yeah. didn't exist in the smaller towns. Hmm. So hmm. these these loners didn't find people to hang with and associate with. Now Columbine was odd because it was a team. But typically right. it's it's a, a lone white male and almost mm -hmm. always an outsider of some sort and then whatever scenario or mission they conjure up in their mind um, you know it, it becomes an event but the thing in Oxford yesterday that's sticking in my mind right now and, and something I'll be paying attention to as the story unfolds because as we've talked about before, usually the information in the first day or two is not very accurate. They've already revised the number of people injured in the last 24 hours. Um, but um, there was a piece or, or a mention in a piece, I think with the free press, eh, it might have been MLive, about the gun that was used semi-automatic handgun that was purchased on Black Friday. That's what I'd heard, too. Oh, really? His father, didn't his father buy the gun just a few days earlier? That's what I heard. And, yeah. and here it is less than a week, and it's used in this shooting. And it's got me wondering about, you know, the the dad buying a gun, how it ended up in the kid's hands. Was it a gift for the kid? Mm. Um, what mm. happened to waiting periods? Um, you know, there are just so many aspects of just that element of this story that I'll be watching as it unfolds. But Tom, can you tell me one thing? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, either one of you. What, how did the student get that gun into the school? I don't know, and in the couple of stories that I read this morning, um, if law enforcement knows, they haven't released it. Yeah, but but you have to go. You have to go through security. All, yeah, all that, so billions of dollars. All that protecting the school districts from intruders, and there's a plan through the the sheriff's department that guarantees that that works. Well, Oakland County Sheriff Mike Bouchard said that um, not all schools have metal detectors. So it's entirely possible that it was smuggled through security despite security's best efforts. How big is that gun that he used? You got, I don't know anything about guns, really. Was it something he could put in a backpack? It's something that oh, yeah. Could oh, yeah. It was a semi-automatic. It was a pistol. Was it? it was a pistol. It was a handgun. Yeah. It was, it should shoot uh, seven times more, according to Bouchard right. this morning, I heard. Right. Seven more yeah. shots was in the gun after he fired off. When, when they caught him. Well, seven, he, he was using magazines that held seven, seven shells. Oh. Well, according and, to the... And it was... Okay. Uh, they estimated about 15 to 20 bullets were fired before he, before he was stopped. Uh. 
Now, I mean, let me ask, maybe, maybe in terms of schools, Henry, now, when, when kids walk in with a backpack, do, do they check everybody's backpack when they come yes, to a school? Yes, they do. do they they do. Yeah, uh, they there's an officer right standing there. You can't get into a school building without passing an officer hmm. or someone authorized to stand in that place, and that's generally an officer. Is it and, possibly uh, came from other entrance? No, I mean that's that's all of the well, all the doors are closed, and and kids will be kicked out of school if they open the door, even for another student, when it says not permitted. That's something that the uh, that Mike Bouchard and and his undersheriff were unwilling to share with uh, reporters yet, and so I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about how the gun got in there, and um, they had a deputy. Uh, working in the school, and yeah. I, I think when they're all done with this, um, he and and some students will be credited for um, a, a system that minimized loss of life. Once uh. an active shooter is spotted in a building or is known, immediately the the uh, sound system will announce to all rooms to lock down and turn the lights off. There's another little element to this story that's going to be interesting to watch. There's a group of kids who had locked themselves down in a classroom. And there was a knock at the door. And the person at the door, allegedly the shooter, identified themselves as a deputy and said, come with me. Oh, I saw that video. Yeah, And and what happened was, yeah, there was a kid in the classroom that was... uh, taking an Instagram video, and at one point he said, yeah, come on, bro. And the kids were smart enough to Mm. say, I don't think a deputy would have said bro, and they went out a window (laughs) and across. (laughs) They went out a window and across the courtyard to uniformed police officers. And they did not open it. Those kids were smart, weren't they? Yeah, they they really were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one more quick thing before we run into another break, because I didn't get through all the quotes yet this morning. Um, All right, here's another quote that got my attention. This is not normal. Nothing about this is normal, especially since he's not only a former president, but a billionaire. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, uh let's see. Well, it, the, the person who said it was not identified, so you're not going to guess who said it. It was oh, a okay. former. Thanks. It was a former top RNC official. Uh, and and here's the here's the story. A pair of payments the Republican National Committee made to a law firm representing uh-huh. former President Donald Trump is raising questions among former and current GOP officials about the the party's priorities in a critical election year and its ability to remain neutral as long-standing RNC rules require in the 2024 presidential primary. Bill Palatucci, a national committeeman from New Jersey, said the fact that the RNC made the payments to Trump's attorneys in October was particularly frustrating given his own plea to party officials that same month for additional resources as the New Jersey GOP sought to push Republican Jack Chitterelli over the finish line in his challenge to incumbent Democrat uh, Governor Phil Murphy. 
Um, is this the new normal? It's certainly uh, not going back two years. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, party is I, being overtaken by the greatest grifter of Amer- in American history, political history. Yeah. Uh, this guy. This guy is just uh, really good at uh, grifting. He's taken and, over the Republican well, Party. I, I, but I but guys, that also indicates that there's a difference between the Republican Party and any entity outside of it. You know, Let's hope and, that's true, uh, Henry. The I, there's times the I wonder anymore. Are the substance out of which everything else is made. Not a political giant over there, but the party of all people. And there's a distinction between the former president and the Republican Party, and that's much. But it's interesting to see some of the uh, members of the RNC, uh, especially this former top RNC official, say, wait a minute, this isn't right. We shouldn't be paying lawyer fees to somebody who isn't president anymore and who has lots of his own resources. We should be using this money for getting people elected that's that's what we raise it for that's what we tell people it's for and and it's uh it's going to be interesting to see how how the party reorients itself i would say particularly in light of some of the comments trump made as he was leaving office where he basically denounced and turned on the republican party and trashed them and said that you know said that he was going to basically do them in because he felt they had turned on him. Uh, it's amazing they stay so loyal. I mean, if you want to talk about white male emasculation, Henry, um, that's what's happening to the uh, white Republicans, GOP people, that are under the thrall of their mafia boss, in my opinion. Those guys, well, it, those don't guys believe that. not behaving they, they, like... <laughs> you know, politics will not let people in leadership do what they want to do. They have to be cautious because they got critics out there that could change the perception of the strategy that they're using, hopefully, to resolve this amb- ambiguous situation between the former president and the Republican Party. And, and these guys are being um, run by a grifter. I mean, these there, guys are being there run is by a little a bit of a catch twenty two there because, yeah. you know, when people lose hope and they and they feel that things have have gotten really horrible and a lot of people do on both sides of the aisle yeah they they become drawn to autocrats yeah it's happened throughout history and i've had numerous authors on who've talked about this is what people do things get bad instead of they look for the strongest leader they can find. Yeah. And sometimes it's the loudest. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but we have to take a break here, and uh, we have a couple of local things I want to try and get in during uh, this first half. So we'll, we'll get to that when we come back. Armchair Politics will continue on the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Hello as well. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. 
This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Lucy, 
Rafina, Tamaya, Sammy, Lauren, Maya, Raya, Riley, Ella, Gabby, Emma, Alyssa, and the Tom Sumner Program. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Jan Worth Nelson. Just minutes after being appointed as superintendent by the Flint Community Schools Board of Education, Kevin Jones II said he was only focused on the future of the district, not the past. He'll have to keep that mantra top of mind if he plans to succeed as the next superintendent of a, di- a district that has experienced almost constant turnover with leadership for over a decade. The interim superintendent was appointed as the New Flint Schools leader during a Board of Education meeting November 17th. Jones will serve the rest of former superintendent Anita Stewart's contract for a term until June 30th, 2023. He will earn uh, just under $170,000 per year. Steward was the sixth leader of the district that has either quit or been fired in the last decade. Most superintendents haven't made it to their fourth year. The longest-termed superintendent in the last decade was Linda Thompson, who served from 2008 to 2012. Is this a natural trend in a school district with declining enrollment and resources? Certainly, it seems a lot worse in Flint than many other. I mean, not many schools are facing that. I realize, but it, the turmoil in Flint seems so much worse uh, with this revolving door of, of superintendents who are coming in and out. I, I, I'm really concerned about the survival of the district. Yeah, I yes, am so am I. But, <laughs> so but you mean, know, go I ahead, Jan. In the last past 16 years, I think it's. <clears throat> oh boy, and I thought that. You know, I, I don't understand exactly why this keeps happening uh, with the kinds of superintendents that Flint specifically can attract. Um, I mean, I thought what was sad about this one was that um, Anita Stewart was a local a local product, and it seems like, you know, as is Kevlin Jones, of course. What's behind all this? I don't know. Um, I made a little note in the margin just the fact that Linda Thompson is the only Flint Schools superintendent to appear on my radio show. Does that have anything to do <laughs> with her longevity? They, were, they weren't there long enough to, to make it to the show <laughs> in recent years. That's true. <laughs> um, this district is in, deep, is in deep trouble, I think. Well... You know, if I, if I could, <clears throat> you know, there's just so much demand on schools by the public, by the parents, by the Washington. And, and schools are not performing as well as they did 20 or 30 years ago. They have the computers and they have the smart kids and things, but things are not coming together. And people are frustrated. And they blame everybody else for the failure. Why us kids don't perform? as well as other kids, whether it's Clio versus Davison or Davison versus uh, Grand Blank or something like that. And, and we have these struggles that we have to keep 
always performing. And then <clears throat> we can't, don't have the money to go out and, and hire the best teachers always. You have to uh, hire what, you, what your budget allows you to hire. And uh, so, <clears throat> and people are just really frustrated. And there's, there's a new culture of kids out there. They don't think that they have to learn anything. This is their day. The past is gone. And they will work out their own will. And so they don't try to perform as well. So there's some real problems in education in this country. And how we come out of it, it's not done yet. Nobody has the answer. That's right, Henry. Yeah, I... I've often been struck by the fact that I often wonder whether or not the friction and division you've seen in the Flint City Council for so long is now lapping over into school boards, to the county commission, and other governing bodies around the area. It may just be the nature of our times when so many things are are so divisive, but it just seems like, as I say, the, the, the chaos and turmoil of the city council is being imitated by other governing bodies around the area. Yeah, I mean, you start to wonder uh, when there, when the degree of societal stress keeps getting greater and greater and greater all across the board, that some people are going to be able to deal with it, you know, fairly well, and other people are going to lose it. And some of it, sometimes, if you look at like a, a body, like you know, if you put enough stress, like Flint School District under great stress before the pandemic hit, for instance. And uh, now there's an additional wave of stress, both institutionally and I think even individually for the members of the board, you know. So um, uh, to me, it's like how much, it's almost like the stress, if you, if you actually think about it as like a, like a, a physical stress on a body, there's going to be only so much it can take. So now, I'm going to wait. Go ahead. Go ahead, Go ahead Henry. I'm going to wade into uh, some deep water here. And guys, please forgive me. Uh, maybe it's time that Americans resist having to educate everybody to the same degree. We don't have the money to do that anymore. And it's huh. been in many other countries like Japan, like countries in uh, Scandinavia, like Germany, like England. They grade their kids into those who uh, want to go to school and get a degree. And those who don't want to go to school, they go to an occupational group and they separate these kids about sixth or seventh grade. They have to take a test and after you've had six years in school, there should be a way of determining what you want to do and where you want to go with it. And then you don't waste the time of educators, you don't waste the time of, you don't waste monies and stuff like that. And you have, you make your own choice. You go in the way that you want to. And I think that most people want choices, whether they're kids or whether they're uh, parents. And uh, or whether they're- this, is, this has worked well in all other countries, but the United States is a country that tries to do everything for everybody. And maybe that was great back in when we were when we were uh, a young country with lots of money and lots of resources. Paul, who but was the time's drying up? Paul, who was the presidential candidate who, um, in a speech, talked about maybe not all kids should go to college? 
maybe that was a, was uh, that Rand that was Paul? A, I'm sorry, well, that could have been one of the candidates. No, it yeah, was no. it was one of the candidates. It was uh, in the presidential campaign, and for some reason, Rand Paul is coming to mind. Rand Paul was seem would seem the most likely candidate that I can think of right now. About although there was somebody somebody else in the last yeah, decade President Reagan similar things. President Reagan authorized the school, a nation at risk. Remember that. Yeah, but this the was this was risk? much more recent than that, Henry. It was yeah, oh yeah, yeah, within the last few years. Well, it, uh, the last two presidential election yeah. cycles. Yeah. Well, I and many people probably if you ask educators what they think, they they won't tell you unless uh, they have anonymity or something like that. Anyway, the point they were trying to make was yeah. that there are other options. There are trade schools. Yeah. There are yeah. certification yeah. programs. There are other things. And and he was suggesting sort of what you were just suggesting, I think, Henry, where. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to get into a whole discussion about testing, but through some method of selection, you identify kids that, you know, are going to do well on a college path and others that might do better right. not going on a college path. And they don't want to. If you oh, like oh, a kid to go through the agony of going through 12 years of college yeah. and school, if they don't want to. Although Henry, nice. you, you you mentioned the cost issue. I, it's it's uh, the idea of trade schools is good, and I think it, it's got a lot to be said for it. But it may cost just as mu even more to teach a kid to be a welder as it does to teach a, you know, a math class in a classroom. In fact, perhaps yeah, more because you need more equipment. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, as long as the kid he has an occupation where he learns to. Uh, uh, provide for himself and be a good yeah. citizen and, and avoid being incarcerated and stuff like that. We owe right, that to our right. kids. But we cannot force them to go to college if they don't want well, to. Well, Bill Gates dropped out of college. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Look what he did. Exactly. He got away from himself. <laughs> yeah. I've, often, I've often thought that if <clears throat> things got really bad in this country uh, where it became a matter of survival, what would I have to offer? I would say, hey, I can write a good paragraph. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good, because you've got to have people that don't have to think. Well, we yeah, but I mean, just in terms now, of, well, um, it would be nice if they smarter than we are, Jan. <laughs> computers. <laughs> but no, Jan makes a good point. If a kid comes down to survival, somebody who knows how to uh, be a good carpenter and nail two boards together yeah. may be more important than those of us yeah. who can write paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, those are the only people, skilled trades are the only people in the nation that know, can go anywhere in the world and get a job. Mm. Yeah, it'd what? be nice if these kids yeah. were empowered by their education uh, rather than, in a way, delayed by it. Uh, it would be nice if kids could come out of their education knowing how to do something. If education uh, truly prepares people for the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, speaking of the future, right we're going to have to, uh, at least in the in the short term, we're going to have to break for a top-of-the-hour ID, but oh, we'll be back okay. with the second half of Armchair Politics on uh, today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.